0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports, because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week we've got a pair of baseball series to recap, some basketball signee news, football coaching news, and a pair of listener questions to tackle. But first, let's go ahead and jump right on into baseball. We're into the home stretch of this baseball season and the Georgia State season is somewhat back on the tracks after taking two of three in a home series with App State two weeks ago and sweeping their last road series of Sunbelt play at Arkansas State this past weekend, the Panthers currently stand at 30-23, and 23, making this the program's first 30-win season since 2015. 2015 was also the last season the team finished with a winning record in conference play and at 15 and 12 heading into their final series with texas state winning any of the three games remaining will confirm a winning record for the panthers this sunbelt conference season the final series of the year has been moved up a day to accommodate the start of the sunbelt tournament in montgomery alabama on tuesday so georgia state will host the bobcats this coming thursday friday and saturday so gentlemen the Buslot boys what's your thoughts
1: As Jordan highlighted right there, I think that Panther fans should be wanting at least one win this weekend to really see how far this season has come and just to see the growth. You know, we've talked about it so many times this early the early part of the season it looked like they were way ahead of schedule. You know we were pushing to lead the conference, and obviously in a good conference, you know Georgia State has kind of taken some steps back um but the worst that they can finish in conference play is five hundred and that has they have not finished above five hundred since twenty fifteen That was seven years ago there's definitely been some growth, and you know I think one win one win will really kind of solidify just how good this team was this year and that's the first step to continuing to build this program you know we've seen it with the other sports and you know a little bit further back in the past but you know you just got to break that 500 and you know lay the foundation for a good program and then you kind of just take off from there
2: yeah and obviously we were on Hades this last week and Everything worked out as far as content-wise nicely because you can kind of group these last two series together nicely. They went five and one in the games with App State and Arkansas State, and got back on track after what had been just a rough stretch of games against really the top of the conference teams like Louisiana, Georgia Southern, Troy, and uh, well, Troy is in the same neighborhood of Georgia State as we'll get into in a little bit, but another good team nonetheless. And it just feels like everything is even with what is going to be a tough home series against the likely conference winners, a lot Texas state would have to get swept by Georgia state and Georgia Southern would have to sweep UTA for Texas state to not win the regular season, be the number one seed. And they're already at 41 wins on the year. They're a very good teams, probably in the neighborhood of hosting a regional, definitely going to be you know, like, like two seed line at worst if they don't get to host somewhere. Uh, host teams in San Marcos and so obviously a good team coming in and so it, it never bodes well when David's correctly laying down the marker like one win would be nice but like it is a really good team that has had no trouble sweeping teams through the Sunbelt season they only got four losses and so there is a degree of that to where that's just kind of the reality of the situation but these last series wins have been nice you No, know, Max Ryerson is on the warpath again and You know, I don't know exactly how it'll shake out as far as like player of the year type stuff. Uh, Maybe it's a situation where the best player on Texas State maybe gets the votes because they're the best team or whatever. But like if it's just a pure stats based thing and everyone's voting on that and on the eye test or whatever, then I feel like Max Ryerson has a really decent chance at it and definitely has a good chance of getting a good placement on the postseason honors just because leading the Sun Belt in home runs. By some margin, I believe Griffin Cheney is still in second place, and Luke Boynton's not that far behind. Uh, he's had a heck of a season, and he's really turned it on again late, and he's already tied the regular season record in home runs. The next one would give him the record solo for Georgia State history, and so it uh, just speaks to the year that he's been able to come in his first season playing for Georgia State.
1: Yeah, you know, like like you mentioned, there's definitely been some bright spots on this team, and it's it's kind of unfortunate that they had that sh- that string of uh, bad performance there because you know, like you said, like with Ryerson leading the Sun Belt in home runs. That's incredible. Uh, I did just check, and Cheney is now in third. Um, Carson Roquefort, I believe is how you pronounce that, has 16 dingers, so he is up to second. But like, you know, outside of a crazy weekend, Ryerson's probably gonna do it, you know. And I there's a third Georgia State member on this home run list, Luke Boynton, you know. Like, that's the offense has been there at times, you know, and I think. It's hard for teams to be consistent. I know that, you know, you've got guys on Texas State, obviously, you know, they have been incredible all year, but that's kind of, you know, a little bit more established a program Coastal Carolina, you know, they 32 wins, 16 losses, another phenomenal season, you know, Georgia Southern begrudgingly having a good season as well, you know, and I, I think watching Georgia State this year, you get the sense that, okay a page might turn. And, you know, how do we take the, you know, perceived lightning in a bottle from this year and kind of translate it to a consistent winner? And the answer is, you know, you have guys who can mash like Ryerson Cheney, and Boynton, you know, and you know, you develop pitchers who can get outs. And, you know, I think the pitching for Georgia state has kind of, not been as successful as, you know, we kind of saw it was earlier in the year, but I would definitely say that they can get better. They know that they can get better and we'll see how they look this weekend and, you know, kind of going into next year as well.
2: And, you know, I feel like the other thing about getting a win in this series and obviously you push for two, you push for a sweep, like home sweep to finish year. That'd be a lot of fun. Kind of sign off a good home campaign. I think that would make them 22 and eight on the season in the friendly confines, which speak to what they were able to do in making that a fortress for themselves. But, you know, as things say, they're 15 and 12 in conference play. Uh, they're sitting in sixth place, which is the last of avoiding the single elimination round that, that starts off the Summell tournament next Tuesday. Uh, Troy is at 13 and 14, one place behind. And so they play at. App State, So they're on the road to App State, but App State is below them. They're 9-18 in Sunbelt play. It's certainly not inconceivable that Troy could sweep that series. And as far as I'm aware, if they sweep, if they end up being tied, they would have the tiebreaker over them. And so it would behoove Georgia State to win this series, to kind of leave all doubt. Uh, If they win one and Troy doesn't sweep, I don't believe... Detroit has a chance of catching them. And like it really is an important marker where they're standing because it's the difference between playing an extra game. Uh, if they can lock up the sixth seed, they start at the, you know, the double elimination format of the top six uh spots and then they play the three seed and have a chance then and you know, that's that's where the tournament gets going, and that's where they would have a chance to make a run. Uh, it would be one more game and one game where you don't have any let-up. The, the benefit of starting at the top six is you do get a game you can lose. Uh, at that point, you can no longer lose any others, but if you play on Tuesday, if you're the 10 seed playing the seventh seed or the 9 seed playing the eighth seed, if you lose that game, you just have a bad game, that's it. You don't make it to the main leg of the tournament. And so Georgia State's done a good enough job to put themselves this position, and I would say being in the top six, especially given where they were put in the preseason poll, this has been... An, a step forward for them to be in the position and they've still got the chance to have a home series, lock it up, getting that top six for sure. And so real chance to cement what's been a good step forward season. And, you know, like I said, the winning record in conference play for the first time in since 2015, you know, last year was 500 in the shortened conference season that they had. And so it would be literally a step forward. It went from losing record. The last time there was a conference season, Uh, to at 500 exactly last year to a winning record this year easy to see the progress there and that the next step would be comfortably above 500 and pushing for the top of the conference and the way things have been going I don't think it's entirely just panther blue rosy eyed glasses to say it's possible like it seems like everything in the right direction under coach Stromdahl
1: You know, I I don't want us to belabor the point, but like that does matter. You know, you want to see, we talk about it with football all the time. You want to see that growth year over year. If you want to put this program in those upper echelons with the sun, other sunbelt, you know, conference stalwarts at baseball. So, you know, I I hope people don't realize like we are not belittling the point of, you know, one more win really does get them an improvement even if it looks like okay, percentage-wise, the improvement over last year isn't that great. It absolutely does matter though.
2: Yeah, and you know, again, we said it a couple of times like as we started mentioning at all the Sunbelt tournament that with those big bats that we just you know David spelled out where they stand in the conference. I got 3 in the top 10. Uh there are pitchers, you know, we've seen a lot from some of the guys that have been relying, you know, whether it's Mason Patel, whether it's Ryan Watson in relief, Chad Treadway, Cameron Jones. Um he's kind of been in between sometimes longer stretches, sometimes more in relief roles, but like the pieces are there that if the bats are hitting and the pitchers are getting enough outs that it's not a team that the other teams that have been around that are gonna be in those uh you know, whether it's the three seed or in the elimination games on later on in the tournament, like you're not gonna to want to run into the Georgia State team because it could be one of those games where they just keep hitting it over the fence and putting up runs and putting you in trouble in a game that you've got to win. And I you know we'll wait to see exactly how that lines up and gonna be a little bit weird with the way this podcast or how we record schedule it just because it starts on next tuesday uh the tournament proper really starts on wednesday and so uh, we're gonna look at that and kind of see how that shapes out see where georgia state ended up starts play and that'll kind of inform a lot of that as well but you know if they get lined up against a team like south alabama well they won the series when south alabama came to the complex and they swept coastal carolina on the road and Sure, the series against Georgia Southern down in Statesboro did not go great, and neither did the time that they played Troy or neither did the time – well, I guess we'll we'll find out what happens when they play Texas State. Could that be another feather in their cap of a team at the top of the conference they hung with? But, you know, winning record suggests that you've played a lot of these teams and you've won games against them. And so with the top-end power that they've shown – I they're going to be about in the, you know, the odds of like who you'd expect to win where they should be, you know, in the six, seven range of most likely, like they aren't going into this with any kind of favoritism, like expected results coming. Like maybe you've got from Texas state who are probably expecting to go in and win the tournament to cement wherever they're going to finish as they get ready for the college world series. But you know, that's not a terrible place to be at where you don't have the expectation, but you know, you've got the potential. All right, let's go ahead and move on to basketball. The first freshman
0: of the Coach Hayes era has signed 6'10 center Edward Nomoko from Lagos, Nigeria. Big E is a two-year vet of Riviera Prep in Miami, where he averaged 10 points, 12 rebounds, and 3 blocks a game this past season. A quote on him from Jonas Hayes from a school press release. He brings a level of skill that is rare for someone of his size, and he has an appetite to get better. I think he's going to be a tremendous player for us. More importantly, he is an unbelievable person who is going to add to the culture of our locker room. We're very excited to get started with him. He cannot get here soon enough. So, gentlemen, what do we think about this signee?
2: So, I preempted this happening, talking about, I forget it was last part of the pod before, like what type of bigs coach. Hayes was gonna bring in as his type of bigs, and like when I said that we knew that he had committed, he just hadn't signed, and uh the school hadn't officially announced that he was coming yet, and but like his commitment had been known at that point, and so we we had a little bit of an inkling, and you know the answer is he's six ten uh seen a little bit of his film, and he moves pretty well for a guy who's six ten and so I think you're seeing that mold of players that it, coach Hunter would have loved to have, but maybe wasn't able to convince to come play in a zone uh, for 40 minutes like that. And weren't maybe as mobile enough to do that type of what he was looking for. But like what we've seen that what coach Lanier was interested in, and now seems obvious coach Hayes is interested in bigs that are offering you that size, that shot blocking, but aren't necessarily sacrificing that athleticism. And so I, I'm excited to see um, I'm, Just tempering expectations as I would with any freshman, just because we don't really know what that transition is going to be like. But given there's a little bit of a flux in the front court, it wouldn't shock me based on what I saw and what you can project from a fall camp that he could be a contributor right away. I mean, I could certainly see that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was about us ringing in an, of an endorsement that a coach can give, uh, which is quite impressive for a guy who, you know, is going to be coming in as a freshman. You know, we're not talking about a transfer. We're talking about a signee. So, um, you know, I echo a lot of your sentiments. I, you know, you love the profile, especially given, you know, the big position at Georgia State is a little bit thinner as we sit here today, but it could be filled. You know, we we saw last year, Freshmen, especially in positions of need, they, you know, they get playing time. Jaheim is coming in here with a ton of experience simply because he was a freshman who got a ton of playing time. And, you know, I can't sit here today and tell you that I expect that out of Edward, but it also wouldn't shock me if, you know, we are talking about it in, you know, a little under a year and say, wow, he had an incredible freshman season and, you know, he played a lot more than you would otherwise expect him to
2: and we aren't making it up by the way his twitter handle or his uh name on twitter is biggie so there is a successor in the biggie you know i guess i don't know we'll have to work it out is if is it just going to be biggie like it was with ellie or is it going to be like biggie the second or biggie 2 i don't know but i did when i saw the commitment come through originally and saw that i was like that's too perfect that you're just continuing the lineage of forwards who go by biggie you know, I honestly, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I thought that was a joke.
1: <laughs> I thought we were just ripping off of LEL's name because he was the center, but
2: that's that's awesome. No, I couldn't that. That is a bridge too far for me to just go on random bits. I would never do that. Uh, and, you know, the, the, since then, I mean, there's still nothing official, really, or just, we're still kind of waiting for the season to happen. But from everything I've heard, like progress is happening for Joe Jones to be a player this next year. And seen like on Instagram, there's some clips got posted of him. And it's like, I feel like we have kind of not expected anything just because he's been in injury hell the last couple of years. And we've been hoping that he'd be back on the court. And it seems like we're closer to that reality. And, you know, if he is available and if he's playing any kind of regular minutes to go along with Jaheim, like it also helps with, new big E because freshmen coming in and getting to play and getting to earn minutes is a great sit a great thing. Freshmen getting forced into action before coaches necessarily want them to play as much as they're going to is a little bit dicier and can sometimes can lead to guys getting exposed and having parts of their game they're not quite up to the NSA level at getting exposed and so you know it's not a new signee or anything but it'll it'll feel like one because it's a guy we haven't seen on the court very often and if he's back in any kind of real capacity would be a just an awesome story because the way it'd been trending wasn't great and no one wants to see anyone get medically you know their career get st- stopped because of injuries particularly because of his family's history on that i mean that just would have be just the cruelest of cruel blows but another guy that you know as we sit here like Jaheim coming back and those two you know before anyone else gets added to the roster feel like the biggest no pun intended parts of the front court that we could say right now would be factors in the coming season, you know, wait to see what happens with Joe continuing to progress and how Big E comes in and hits college uh, hits it running in college and all, and who else gets added? I'm sure the roster, you know, there's still a scholarship available. And so I still, I I feel like a broken record on this. I still feel like there's going to be another front court member with, Division one experience that gets added to the roster, uh, with no insight as to who that's gonna be. I just I keep saying it, but I still am expecting someone else to get added. And, you know, maybe it's another freshman. You know, time will tell if it's gonna just be another freshman who comes in that Coach Jonas trusts to get in the game early and kind of get going. But still feels like the front court is a work in progress, but another piece got added with Edward that feels exciting, feels like you're seeing the mold of what Coach Hayes is looking for in bigs, and it certainly is an appealing thing for what fans have been looking for as the program continues to try and build. One day we're going to record
1: a pod, and that big premonition that you've been having is going to happen. And there's going to be nobody happier in Georgia State fandom than you.
2: Yeah, I'm just at this point, I've just manifested it, and if it didn't happen. My manifestation powers don't work, and that's another issue. And I gotta stop making big, you know. After you predicted the Tennessee thing, like I gotta match it at some point. Like I gotta have something on the pod that comes true later. Like I'm just living up to that. I'm living in your shadow as far as big predictions go. Although listeners provided this was an opportunity for predictions to make me look smart uh, with actually no insight on golf, uh, but that's coming up later. So I guess I got another opportunity later to make a prediction that will come true on the pod.
0: Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to football. And there is a full coaching staff once more as Arkita Banks has joined from his alma mater, Elon, to serve as the Panthers' special teams coordinator. Head coach Sean Elliott said of the hire, special teams is one of the areas where we feel we can improve the most, and we've made a commitment to doing that. Also in the press release about Coach Banks's hire, it was announced that uh, graduate assistant Will Hunter will work with the running backs, confirming that no one will actually officially hold the title of running backs coach. And in another bit of news, UConn grad transfer quarterback Stephen Krajewski has committed to the program. Krajewski graduated from Colquitt County High School in South Georgia before heading up to stores for two seasons, where he played in 14 career games. He'll have two more years of eligibility and adds to the depth in the quarterback room behind incumbent starter Darren Granger. So, gentlemen, what are our thoughts about this pair of football news tidbits?
1: I have to start with a quarterback because I'm slightly petty. Um, but remember a few years ago when people were talking about Georgia State was a place where quarterbacks go to die and they just don't want to come here and because there was a couple of quarterbacks who transferred out? That was fun. That's all I want to say about that but that was fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, we can go with the quarterback first, uh, Krujewski out of UConn. Um, Right now, I think just in general, we're tempering expectations on just like, this is how the quarterback room is going to go. Because last year at this time, we were talking about the prospects of Quad Brown being four-year starter, best Georgia Georgia state quarterback ever. And obviously by the App State game, by the Charlotte game, uh, that was kind of over and he ended up leaving the program. And so, not getting caught out making just too hyperbolic or too hard and fast predictions on quarterbacks. But my initial read is similar to the news when Darren Granger got, uh, was announced to be coming to Georgia State last year. And that I don't necessarily know that I expect him to push to be a starter coming in here out from UConn. And the numbers don't wow me though. The caveat there is that the UConn team was overall very bad. And so, it the way that they were just how they were just not set up for success it would have been hard for any quarterback no matter how good they were to put up good numbers and to be a winner there like it just was not going to happen for basically anyone you know you put one of the Heisman finalists in there and you like they'd be good because you know like CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and those like those guys are good and all but like the point is that it is not a situation that was going to give a, a guy a real shot and so In that respect, I don't really care as much about that. I feel like he gets a clean slate in that book. But my thinking is more just that as time has gone on, it feels like Darren is kind of getting entrenched as a starter. And a lot of the success the team had with him at the helm when he took over as starter and just winning games and that he was not taking the team out of games himself by making mistakes. I feel like that's been cemented as a strength for him. And that I've said this a couple of times, I think, but that it's going to take someone just out-talenting him to supersede the fact that this coaching staff, I think, really trusts Darren running the offense, and they trust that he is willing to do the running plays. They like his arm enough. I, I'm sure that they think they can work on the accuracy stuff and that cost him in some of the games they like against Louisiana. But my initial read is kind of same old, same old, but good to have another voice come in, another person who went to high school in Georgia come back. Uh, Continuing to have that be kind of a mantra in the major sports certainly is what a lot of people are looking for. It, it would be nice to have a Moultrie, Georgia, is not Atlanta. It's not Metro Atlanta in the least. But like having another guy come from Colquitt is a nice thing. Having someone coming back come play in Georgia again is a nice thing. And uh, we'll see where it goes.
1: Competition is always good. Like you said, we saw it last year. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a little competition. So, you know, if Darren's the guy, then he's the guy. If he's not the guy, then he's not. So, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I welcome it all.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the special teams, I feel like there's a segment of the fan base that has a lot of strong opinions about Georgia state special teams in just the general, you know, lack of returning kick returns and punt returns really. And, My initial read on this hire is without any kind of insight on it. I feel like that's going to change just for the fact that I don't think that you would have a dedicated special teams coach without, you know, instead of having a running backs coach, if you weren't going to institute some kind of change at that unit. Like, I feel like that follows pretty logically and we'll see how it falls in reality. But my initial thing when I saw that that was the case and that it, because when I saw the hire initially, I like, I'm sure other people, thought it was going to be a special teams coordinator slash running backs coach situation, like what was going to be the case with Ahmad Nagavi before he took the two lane offensive line job and started part of this whole staff shakeup that has been going on. And now seems to be at an end, but uh, obviously it was just as the school put it just a special teams coordinator. And so that to me feels like intentionality of saying, um, and that's why we included the quote from coach Elliot, basically saying the same thing and, Those quotes only go so far and, you know, the title could just be, you know, another guy who can recruit and keep the same special teams philosophy going. But I would say that the fact that it's the only thing he's listed as what he's doing is the the position he is coaching. It feels to me like it's a sea change in that regard. Yeah. And I mean, this is a
1: position coach, I guess you could call it, that Georgia State has needed for a while and that is uh, I'm very hopeful that we see some changes with how Georgia State approaches special teams you know it's definitely gotten better but this is you know team you know like i mentioned with baseball you know you, there's a certain standard that you want to be at and you know finding ways to continually improve that each year is you know what turns teams from okay teams to good and good teams to great and georgia state's trying to become a great team
2: yeah and i think it's gotten to the point i mean there were some years, especially under Coach Miles, where the special team was actively and negative and costing them situations. And you saw that bleed over a little bit into the first year Coach Ellie was here. Um, in the game that ended up being a win against Texas State uh, the first season, there was a like a safety on just a bad snap on a punt and a really key point in the game. And they ended up winning that game in the end, so it didn't cost them, but they're were definitely situations, I mean, the fake punt debacle against Louisiana in the bowl season in 2015, um, hosts of other stuff, just issues with just basics on special team stuff, that I think that has been warded out largely uh, with whoever has been holding the responsibility the last four seasons or so. But it's not turned into this thing where it's game-changing. And some of that's with the kick returning, but it's just, even on coverage stuff, it's been better, but it's not been like you're forcing fumbles or you're in position to get big stops all the time. I think the bleeding has been stopped, but there's still a gear to find as far as that goes. And, you know, part of that is the return game. And so that's a part of it I expect maybe to see more of. And I think that there's been a lot about just kind of that philosophy. And I feel like I've always felt, in spite of what Coach Elliott has said or what anyone's said on it, it's been a case where like if someone was like primetime Deion Sanders returning kicks in practice all the time, they'd be letting them loose in the games. I feel like it's been a situation where the game, the play in practice hasn't been there just to make it worthwhile to have guys return. And we saw that some in games where there'd be decisions to take it out of the end zone and guys wouldn't get back to the 25 and guys taking maybe like the wrong route around not following their blockers and not getting as, Bigger returns they could have, and so I've seen. I've seen the logic in why the coaching staff has reverted to what they've done, and that they've just said, "Let's get to twenty-five every time and go seventy-five yards and score." But certainly, if you can get someone in there that maybe you think can scheme something different or whatever it is, and you get a new recruit in there that you feel can maybe be more of a game changer in the turn game, that that will shift it. But you know, whatever it is, like that is still if you're looking for a a real concrete place that things could improve. And I'm sure that I'm seeing exactly what preaching a lot what a lot of people listen to this pod are thinking. And I know a particular contributor, uh, friend of ours, friend of the pod who uh, really, really, really wants Georgia state to take more advantage in the return game would be happy if that were the case.
0: Last but not least this week, we do have a pair of listener questions. First up from Bailey on Twitter. He asks, considering the lopsided divisions in the Sun Belt, how do we feel about the very recent news that conferences can decide their championships however they please? So this uh, referring to today as of the recording of this podcast, the NCAA has ruled that you no longer have to have uh, divisional champions compete in a championship game for your uh, conference title. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts?
1: This rule is hilarious, and I will, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. Until I saw this listener question, I had no idea that this happened. Um, I'm talking like five minutes before we sat down to record this. I had no idea what happened because I've just been out of the loop. Um, but to actually answer Bailey's question, I mean, okay, like... I I don't necessarily know that a conference commissioner is going to look at two teams who are like, they're going to make the right decision. You know, you might have a situation where like the fourth team Had like a bad random upset or whatever, and two teams, you know, are ahead of them that probably shouldn't be, or there's a tiebreaker situation, you know. Like, I I don't think somebody's gonna pluck like the worst team in a conference and put them in the championship game. Like, I don't think that's what the spirit of this is for. Um, so you know, until I see a scenario in which uh, a commissioner is gonna just make something bad happen out of nothing like i I can't sit here and say that this is a bad thing because commissioners are probably still going to end up doing the right thing and putting the two most deserving teams in the conference championship game
2: I'll so say it takes a little bit of a sting out of the tail of all this hype we've been laying on the the beast of an east the sun Belt east uh because it feels like what's going to follow is going to be you know I, I don't know i mean it's possible they keep the divisions just as a way of Having scheduling be kind of consistent rather than have it kind of be a free for all. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. I guess we'll kind of see how it lays out. But is giving conferences across FBS permission to get rid of the conferences, uh, the divisions that they have? And so you're going to probably see it, especially in the ones that are talking, you know, college football playoff implications to where two teams from what had been the SEC West. Making the SEC championship if they're the two best teams, and so in that respect, I think it's a good thing because, I mean, you know, you asked about it in in regards to the Sun Belt, and I guess as of right now, it's been a stretch where App State and Louisiana have been the two best teams in the Sun Belt, and so it hasn't. you know, Even if they had changed it before, like two years ago it feels like pretty easy to say that that would have still been the Sunbelt championship game, whether they were doing divisions or not, but it definitely opens the door to where Georgia state could get into the conference championship quicker. If the, you know, they were second in the Sunbelt East this year and they would have still not, they would have been behind Louisiana. But if it's a situation where the second best team in the East is considerably better than the West champion, uh, it's better for Georgia state. It's better for the conference in general, if that's going to be a better conference championship matchup. And uh, you know, I, I guess we look at the pedigree of the East teams and success that teams have had and that we project and that Georgia state's been improving and that the West basically doesn't have anyone really going that direction except Louisiana who had the coaching change. And so You could foresee a situation where the hierarchy kind of stays as it is for a few years. And so it'll be interesting for me to see how quickly a change with divisions happens or not in the Sun Belt. But, you know, down the road, I think this is a boon for Georgia State for that reason that, you know, I think at some point they're probably going to beat (laughs) F-State. But you know this does give them a path where if they can't get the monkey off the back with beating App State, they could still be second in among the Eastern teams and still make the conference championship. And you know, I guess at that point they probably have to slay the dragon and beat App State because that's probably who to be playing in this hypothetical that I laid out. But like, I think it's a positive for the prospects of Georgia State because the biggest hurdle that they want to get to at this point is winning the Sun Belt. East because they want to get the Sun Belt championship game. If they can just shoot for being one of the top two teams in the Sun Belt and not having to worry about necessarily being the best in the East to get to that goal, you know, it seems like that's not any easier, but I think it is because sometimes being the best in the, like we talk about it all the time. Like it's just going to be a heck of a division and it's going to be hard. Whoever wins it every single year is going to have earned it. And so, anywhere where you can still get to the Sunbelt championship game while avoiding having to do that. That's a plus.
0: All right. So last but certainly not least, Mike from Marietta asks, let's see how well you know golf. Who is going to win the PGA championship this week? Gentlemen, I will defer to both of you because I know nothing about golf.
2: Yeah, this is what I teased earlier. Mike helped us out, giving us a chance to... There's no downside to this for me. Like, I've done a little bit of research on this. Like, I know golfers' names. Like, I know general like who's good. And so I'm not completely guessing. But like, if I put out a guess on the pod that it's like, oh, that person didn't make the cut after the second round. Like, I don't look that bad. Like, I was kind of going off on a limb anyway. But if I get it right, big bragging rights. Uh, so with that said, I'll stop delaying, <clears throat> and I'm going to guess one of the probably consensus favorites. I'm just going to go with easier money, less good odds. I'm going to say John Rom. He's a guy that. As I've followed golf, which isn't that closely, pretty consistent finishing in top tens of events. I think he won his first major championship last year. And so he finally cleared that hurdle. The pressure's off a little bit as far as that is concerned. And so he's going in at 11 to 1 odds from what I saw when I was looking at this. And so tied for the best odds. So I'm certainly not going off on any kind of crazy guess. And so by that accord, I'm probably going to be wrong. But that's what I'm going with for the PGA Championship winner, John Rom. I have a question, not
1: necessarily an answer, but has Rory won anything major in a while? Because I feel like he hasn't
2: won the championship in a good bit. Yeah, well, came close almost in the Masters this year, and that would have been a crazy... If he had managed that crazy, I was following that, even in my not-following-golf-things lifestyle, but... It has he has not won a major since twenty fourteen. He won the PGA championship in twenty fourteen and the open championship in twenty fourteen. And uh won the US Open in twenty eleven, also won the PGA in twenty twelve, and has not won one of the major championships since then. So in you know, that's not about yeah, know, he's due, so to speak. You're right. All right, lucky number seven. This is the year. This
1: is the one. It's been seven years. That's my stamp. Rory. I'm I'm team Rory this year.
2: There it is. I just, I just want to say before we go, I actually just looked at another article and the article was listing like best, you know, best sleeper to pick who's going to win. And uh, John Rahm was listed in this article by someone who actually covers golf and his category was star who definitely won't win. So I'm already feeling great about it.
0: So thank you very, very much. Bailey and Mike for your questions this week and before we get you out of here of course we've got sports bits and this week there are quite literally just three events happening before the uh, baseball team wraps up their season at the Sunbelt championship tournament and that is three games against Texas State of course Thursday at 6 p.m Friday at 6 p.m and Saturday at 1 p.m and then like we said earlier The Sunbelt Conference baseball tournament in Montgomery, Alabama begins on Tuesday. So that's your week in Georgia State Athletics, and this is our week in the Thursday night podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you in the next episode. Have a great week. Bye-bye.